let's get into our message for this morning, get into the Word of God. Uh, and I want to pick up where we left off last week. And I want you to hear my heart, and I want you to hear God's heart. Um, we're seeing our nation fray apart at a, at a pretty fast rate right now. And, um, and it was interesting. I came across a great book this, this week uh, called uh, Impossible People. It's got a strange name, but, uh, but it's basically about what's happening in our nation and why we're seeing the, the fragmentation. And the author used the phrase weightlessness. In other words, we're living in a day when things, things that used to be strong, secure, stable, heavy, concepts like justice and truth and mercy and good biblical concepts are losing their meaning and we're living in a culture that's becoming increasingly fragmented and he used the word weightless. Now this is what I want you to see and we hit this last Sunday. Compare that with, we talked last week about the glory of the Lord. We do not want to be an Ichabod church. Amen. You remember in the Bible, the word Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. And we shared clearly last Sunday that there's only two things that separate us gathered together from a lost world. It's the fact that God has spoken to us and he's given us his His precepts or his law. How many of you are grateful for the Bible that you are here on planet earth and you don't have to figure out life by yourself like you're the first person that's ever tried living? God has spoken. He's given us guidelines. He's given us an instruction manual. Anybody grateful for the word of God besides me? Come on, you got to talk to me here this morning. Thank God for the Bible. One of the psalmists said this. He said, I'm a stranger here on earth. God, don't hide your commandments from me. In other words, I've never been here before. I've never been on planet Earth before. I don't know how to live. I don't know the right way to live. God, please instruct me and thank the Lord that he has instructed us. So we have his precepts. But the other thing that we have is his presence. Are you grateful for the presence of God in your life? And and when I say that, please don't just gloss that over because we are a people of his presence. And if you're not sensing the move of God's spirit in your life, if you're not Sensing his nearness, just pause and say, Lord, what's going on? Help me out here and, and, and get it right. Because the presence of God is one of the gifts that he gives to his kids. It sets sets us apart from people that don't know him. It's, it's his Holy Spirit living in us. Anybody grateful for the Holy Spirit? Grateful for the Word of God. So this is what sets us apart. Now, check this out. When we abandon God and we reject God, This weightlessness happens because the glory departs. And this is a cool thing. The word glory in the Hebrew, when you look at the meaning of the word glory, it means weight. It means heaviness. What happens when the presence of God filled the temple? The priests couldn't even stand up. They fell to their faces. Why did they fall to their faces? Because the weight of God's glory drove them to their knees and on their face. When God leaves a nation... Or when God leaves his people, the church, because of their sin or their rejecting of him, a weightlessness occurs where everything fragments and falls apart. When God is center in a country or a nation, the weightiness of his glory pulls everybody together. And it causes us to remain tight and it causes our nation to be a nation that's unified. Here's the situation. The problem in America today is that we have so rejected God for so long. And I'm not speaking as individuals. I'm speaking as a nation. Well, pastor, what do you mean? I'm talking about our courts. 
I'm talking about public anything, whether it's public education. I'm talking about government, which is public. I'm talking about the marketplace. I'm talking about out there where we pass laws, where we determine and institutions determine what is good and right and what is evil and wrong. I'm telling you, in the public arena, we have been rejecting God for many, many decades. Can you say amen to that? And it it should not surprise us that we're seeing things split apart now at a rapid pace. Now, I love this quote by John Dawson. He says this, Our prime objective in intercession and spiritual warfare is not the removal of the enemy, but the return of the glory, the restoration of God's needed favor. When we encounter a spiritual stronghold, it's not a testimony, he says, to the presence of a big demon, but rather the absence of the glory of God. Isn't that good? Our problem is not a great big devil out there that's really messing things up. Our problem is that we no longer have the presence of a great big God who makes a tiny little devil appear as he truly is, a tiny little impotent devil. The solution to you personally, the solution to us corporately, the solution to our nation is not to try to fight the darkness, but to make sure that we're living in such a way that God's glory rests upon us. That God's glory is in our home, God's glory is in our marriages, God's glory is in our church. Does this make sense? Which is why corporately, and please hear me now, I'm not talking about your personal life this morning, I'm talking about us. We live in a radically individualistic culture where everything's about me, even the Bible's for me. And most of the Bible, as you know, wasn't written to individuals. It was written to groups of people. It was written to the church. God is a corporate God. God looks at nations corporately, and he judges nations corporately. If you're a part of a nation, you want to be a part of a nation that's living and promoting righteousness so that that nation experiences the blessing of God. You don't want to be living in a nation that has been abandoned by God, because guess what? It doesn't matter whether you go to church on Sunday. If you're living in a nation that's under the judgment of God, you will be touched by that judgment. I'm going to talk about how just one righteous soul can shift the nation. I'm going to talk about how God protects his own people in the midst of judgment like he did in Egypt. But I'm just telling you, when you live in a wicked and perverse culture, you end up having to deal with that wickedness and perversion. Did you all notice that all the announcements, I just note the Holy Spirit reminded me of this, all the announcements this morning were on ministries that help people get healed from the sin and brokenness inflicted upon them by other broken people. And when you are spending all of your time trying to heal the effects of your own abuse, abandonment, rejection, drunkenness, pornography, lust, adultery, uh, divorce, that is a sign of judgment. Because that's not normal. It means you're living in a culture that is increasingly victimizing other people and breaking other people and destroying other people. This is not normal. It's not normal. So we need to realize we're living in a season right now where God has abandoned our nation because our nation has abandoned him. And I I could give you 20 verses this morning with that same description and I will not do that. We don't have the time for that. But I want I want you to hear the whole judgment piece through the heart of God. We belong to the Lord. We establish this. And we exist for his glory. Can you say amen? You belong to God. You exist for his glory. 
He gives us his precepts. He gives us his presence. He gives us his promises. And he promises us an abundant, blessed life. Can you say amen to that? God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to experience the fullness of his blessing. God does not want you living in poverty. He does not want you living beneath. He wants to bless you. That's John 10, 10 and a thousand other verses in the Bible that establish that. But here's the problem. We are the ones who willingly rebel against God. We go our own way. And you know, when you rebel against God and you go your own way, isn't it amazing that God doesn't just say, well, forget you like we do with other people that let us down. You know, we're quick to write people off, aren't we? But God, God doesn't write people off. You know what God does? He pursues you. He pursues you. And you know, godly people that have been wounded and hurt by other people don't just write them off. Some of you, you know, as we're preaching about the judgment of God, I had a number of people up here with tears in their eyes last week because the judgment of God is real and the judgment of God is coming. And they realized there are people in my family right now that don't know Christ. And if he were to come right now, I'm scared to think about where they would spend eternity. How many of you know, sometimes that causes people to leave the church because they don't even want to think about that. No, no, no. Listen to me. You need to think about that. When is the last time you prayed for family members that are far from God with tears running down your cheek? It's the the absence of the weightiness of what's coming that causes you to think everything's okay when it's not okay. When is the last time you were shaken by people in your household that aren't living right for Christ and the judgment of God is sure and it's coming and they're not ready? Don't run from these realities and pretend like they're not real. They're real. But here's the good news. God relentlessly pursues lost people. And if God saved you, why would he not want to save that family member that seems so far from him right now? I'm telling you, he woos us and he pursues us and he goes after us even when we continue to live in willful, stubborn rejection of who he is. That's the amazing God that we have. And then what do we do? We keep resisting. We repeatedly push him away, push him away, push him away. And because we have abandoned him, there comes a point in time when God says, fine, I am going to give you over to what you want to do. Since you don't want to listen to me, since my relationship with you isn't important, fine, I'm just going to let you go your own way. Now, if you know that is a place you never, ever want to be, you never want to be there. But here's the cool thing, because he loves us, he disciplines us. And I want you to see this. When God just simply says, fine, go your own way, he lets us eat the fruit of our lousy, selfish choices. And guess what happens when we eat the fruit of our lousy, selfish choices? It hurts. How many times as parents have we, before we discipline our children, we say, look, I don't get any pleasure in spanking you. I don't get any pleasure in disciplining you. But I can't let you continue to live the way that you're living and be a good father who loves you. So I'm going to stop this behavior. I'm going to do what I can to encourage you not to act this way. And so what? God is a good, good father. We sing about it. But but what we often forget is a good, good father loves his kids enough to discipline them. That's why Eli is not an example in the Bible of a good, good father. He had two sons who were priests of the Lord, and he allowed them to continue in willful, blatant, overt sin against God, and he wasn't a good father because he should have stopped them dead in their tracks. A good father will discipline us. But notice this, why do we discipline? Why does God discipline us? Because he's after you. He's after your heart. He's trying to deal with the obstacles that keep you and him from coming together, from having a great relationship. 
I've said to my kids many times, I said, look, if I can't trust you, if you are not going to tell me the truth, we can have no relationship. And it breaks my heart because if I can't trust you, I can't relate to you. I mean, you know, picture God saying this to us. Son, if I can't trust you to love me and honor me and, and do what I've asked you to do, I can't have a relationship with you. So God disciplines us because he loves us. And even in judgment, how many of you know God is after our heart? God takes no pleasure in judging wicked people. God takes no pleasure in spanking us as his own kids. The pleasure of God is in the restoration. The pleasure of God is in the healing. The pleasure of God is in the restored relationship. And I said this and I need to say it again. I want you to get this. His judgment is always redemptive. It's it's about taking a broken person, a broken nation, a broken relationship, and taking it to the next level of healing. It's always redemptive because he loves us so much. I got a quote here from Ralph Venning, who's who's an old Puritan writer. He wrote a book called, how's this for a cool title? The Sinfulness of Sin. It's a book about this, this thick on why sin is so disgusting and why God hates it so much. And this is what he said. God is long-suffering, but he's not all-suffering. He who is the God of patience now will, if abused, be a God of vengeance hereafter to the abusers of his patience. In other words, we talk about the long-sufferingness of God. We talk about how patient he is with us. And how many know that is true? But there's a tipping point. Where God says, you know what? You've rejected me for so long. Now comes the discipline. Now comes the spanking, so to speak. And that's the way that the kingdom of God operates. But let me ask you a more foundational question. Pastor, why does God judge sin? What's, what's the big deal about sin? Well, let me tell you what's the big deal about sin. I mean, you know, sin is ultimately an act of high treason against God himself. It's basically our wicked human heart saying, we know better We're rejecting you, God. We don't need you in our lives. We're going to be self-reliant. We're going to depend on our own self, our own strength. It's an act of, it's an act of high treason against God. And I'm even know since we're made in the image and likeness of God, when we have high treason against God, we're really committing self-suicide. Because when people reject God, they destroy themselves. When people reject God, you're, you know, people say, I'm just trying to find myself. You'll never find yourself until you find God. You're made in his image, and until you know him, and until you experience him, you'll never figure out who you are or what you're supposed to be doing. So we need to have a relationship with God. That's why God hates sin so much. Sin seeks to destroy God himself and people made in the image and likeness of God. And I want you to hear this. Sometimes, you know, we talk about the love of God as the starting place of the good news of the gospel. I just need to pop your bubble here a moment. And I want you to follow with me. The love of God is not the beginning of the good news. The beginning of the good news is the wrath of God. Pastor, how could wrath of God be good news? How many of you know salvation is meaningless if you don't know what you're saved from? And you know why people aren't running to Jesus today? Because all they're hearing today is grace, love, grace, love, grace, love, grace, love. Grace and love are meaningless outside the context of the judgment of God and sin. You know who you need to be saved from? God. No, not the devil. You need to be saved from God. 
The Bible says this is the, this is the default. People are born into life under the wrath of God. We're born in sin. We act like sinners. We reject God. We insult God, and God's not happy. That's the starting place of the gospel. You know what the good news is? Somebody's taken your place and died in your stead. And here's the question before all of us this morning. Do you want to stand before God and pay the price for your sin? Or do you want somebody else to be standing in your place who paid the bill and you're hiding in Jesus Christ alone and recognizing that the favor and the grace and the mercy that you have on your life right now is because somebody was willing to pay a steep, steep price for the collective sin of this world. Every single sin that's ever been committed, hear this, will be judged by God. Let the weight of that just... We are approaching a holy judge. Every single sin committed in secret, every single sin committed even in the hiding places of our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions, every single sin is going to be judged by a holy God. The question is, would you like Jesus to pay for your sin now, or would you like to wait on the great day and stand before God as he reveals everything that you've done that's been an offense to his holiness and righteousness and his glory? I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I I thank God for the cross that continues to cover, where God continues to reach out in mercy over us as his people. This is why we said last week, judgment begins in the house of the Lord because we should know better. We should not be trampling the mercy of God and the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and crucifying the Son of God afresh and anew. That's why we come at the, and we take communion every week to say, Lord, in light of what you've done for me, God forbid that I am living a loose and sinful life, even claiming to be one of your followers. God forbid. I've got to cover some ground here. I want to take you through a progression of Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, as it, as it flows in your Bible. And I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 really quick. And I don't have time to read this whole chapter. I encourage you to do so. Many times, especially during the prosperity message, these verses were personalized. It became, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm this, I'm that. But I want you to see the context in Deuteronomy 28. God is not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to a nation. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And the principles that God is laying out for his people in Deuteronomy 28 Apply to any nation that wants to take God up on this. And I want you to see what's happening as God is giving out blessings and curses. In fact, in, in chapter 28, he indicates 14 verses he dedicates to the blessings. While there's 53 verses where he goes into the curses that follow. When a nation, not just individuals, a nation rejects him. And I'm just going to hit a few of them here. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully keep the commands I'm giving you. The Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the world. Do you know that America is in that place right now? Now, we're quickly falling, but it's what's called American exceptionalism. It's not that we are so exceptional. It's that we have been a nation that has embraced God's commandments, and God has set us high above all the nations on the world. Everybody with me on that? Can anybody dispute that? We're falling from that place quickly, but that's where we've been for all my lifetime. God says your fields, your towns, your fields will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. Your flocks and herds, blessed. Fruit baskets, blessed. Bread, blessed. 
And listen, this, this summarizes the heart of God for people that obey him. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you're going to be blessed. Does anybody want in on that deal? Wherever you go, blessed. Whatever you touch, blessed. Whatever you do, blessed. That is the biggest blanket of blessing I can even comprehend in one little verse. You go on, he says, God says, I'll I'll give you protection when your enemies attack you. How many of you know, I said this last week, 9-11 was a huge wake-up call. Because we had never had that kind of attack on our soil in the history of this country. Why? Because God had protected America. God had been our shield and our defense. It says, people, the world will stand in all of you. You'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be on top, not the bottom. Uh, verse 14, you must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you or follow after other gods. And then he goes on, listen to this. But if you refuse to listen to me, this is verse 15. If you refuse to listen to me, you don't obey me. All these curses are going to come on you and overwhelm you. Picture the curse of God overwhelming you. This is stunning. He says, uh, the Lord will bring uh, curses, confusion, frustration on everything that you do. Until at last you're completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. Talks about diseases. In fact, I'm going to give you seven quick points here. You could, you could, under the curses, they fall under seven major areas. Number one, famine. I'm going to hit this quickly. Number two, drought. Number three, blight or mildew, agricultural uh, cursing. Locusts, we talk about diseases, bugs, plagues, military defeats, and complete devastation. Now, when we see these things happening, because we live in a naturalistic uh, culture, or nat- naturalism rather, not naturalistic, but a culture that's rejected God and looks for natural explanations for everything, I want you to see that we don't get, you know, we just think, oh, famine, drought, no problem. Uh, we blame it on global warming or some other thing like that. But here's what our, our founding fathers understood. Our fathers believed that God was offended by sin, and they were deeply troubled by both the existence of personal sin in their own lives and by the presence of unconfessed corporate sins in the churches and in the nation. Listen to this. They regarded natural calamities as manifestations of the displeasure of God Almighty against sin and allowed such events as earthquakes, fires, volcanoes, epidemics, floods, and droughts to prompt them to a special seeking of God's face in fasting, prayer, and corporate repentance. They also sought the Lord in solemn assemblies in connection with wars, murders, rapes, etc., believing that such outbursts of wickedness to be directly related to the general decline of moral and spiritual life in the churches. So when they heard about rape, for instance, happening in a community, they all stopped, they came to the church, they got on their faces, they said, God, for this type of wickedness to be occurring in our backyard... It's a sign of moral decline. God, forgive us as your church because we are the light and we are the moral foundation for the nation. Can you see how we've drifted a long way from this? We just take this as the norm now. And it's not the norm. This, This would be a sign that God's displeasure was on a community. You know how many people get murdered just in Chicago every single weekend? And it's just normal to us. Well, how many dozens of people were murdered this weekend? It is a sign of the judgment of God on a city when violence is erupting in your streets. So what do we do? Saints of old would stop and say, we need to seek the Lord. 
We need to ask the Lord what is going on, and we need to cry out for mercy. Now, I want you to see this. We move from Deuteronomy where God's making a covenant with a nation. He's basically saying, if you'll obey me, this is what I want to do. If you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. And he laid it out. How many of you know we have the same invitation as Americans? In fact, our founders understood our country as being in covenant with God. From the very beginning of the compacts, made for our compact and other things. So I can go back. That's a whole other message. But I want you to go to the book of Joshua. What does a nation look like when it's blessed by God? And I want you to compare Joshua with me with judges. What a nation looks like that rejects God. Listen to some of the highlights in the book of Joshua. We're not going to go there, but these are the highlights. God dried up the Jordan River. Remember that? So that they could walk across. It was an amazing miracle. How many of you remember the story when the walls of Jericho came crashing down? When all the people did, they didn't have any weaponry. They were slaves in Egypt. They marched around the city. God was their weapon. The walls came crashing down on that mega city with mega walls. How many remember how God gave them one remarkable victory after another? Remember, the Israelites had no horses. They had no chariots. While the armies that they fought against, the Bible says in Joshua 11, 4, they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore with many horses and chariots. And yet God gave them victory after victory after victory, even though the enemy outnumbered them and had better weaponry than they did. On one occasion, you remember this, God sent hornets ahead of them and used hornets to drive out the enemy. A painful weapon that was. Joshua chapter 10, God stopped the sun. God stopped the sun in its tracks so that Israel could have a victory and have more sunlight uh, to secure the victory. Remember the giants that were in the land that terrified them. God delivered those giants to them. God did absolutely amazing things. And this was the cool thing. God promised them that they would live in cities that they never built, that they would eat the fruit of vineyards and olive groves that they never planted. In other words, they were going to step in and take over cities and and uh, gardens that were already established. And you know what? They, that's exactly what they did. Isn't that amazing? Well, is that a sign of military prowess, economic blessing? A healthy people, no disease, sickness among the people, um, no no uh, economic or, or agricultural blight, no droughts, no famines. God bless them. God said, "I'll send you the rain in the proper seas." And how many you know that's what God does? God controls the winds and the storms and the rain, not the enemy, not Mother Nature, whoever she is. I haven't met her yet, but anyway. But here's the problem. The grandkids of these warriors that took over the land, two generations is all it took. The grandkids forgot the Lord, which leads us to the book of Judges. And and Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, after that generation died and another grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And verse 11 says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Verse 17, same chapter, how quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Judges 21 ends with this declaration. Verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If we're not living in one of those days, I don't know what day we're in. Can you understand how important it is for us to pass the baton from the one generation to the next because it only takes one missing generation and your nation can absolutely fall under the judgment of God. We are living in such a godless, biblically illiterate culture today 
Um, and the church, again, I'm saying this, we are responsible for the health of the nation. How many of you know the Bible says in Amos that God would send a famine, and it wasn't a famine of lack of food. It was a famine of hearing and knowing the word of the Lord. We're living in that famine today when people don't know God and don't know what he stands for. And i got to end with this quickly. What are, what are the signals of God's impending judgment? What are the signs? I want you to turn to Leviticus 18. Can you give me 10 minutes? Leviticus 18, 20 through 25. I want to give you, I've got this under three broad headings. We could give 50 specific examples, but I'm going to give you three broad headings. What are the signals that a nation is under the judgment of God? Start reading with me, Leviticus 18, verse 20. Do not defile yourself by having sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife. Of course, we know that's adultery, but what I want you to see is going on here is it's not just the act of adultery, it's the act of sexual sin in general. Sex and marriage are synonymous. Sex outside of marriage in any way, shape, or form is judged by God. This is serious because anybody think we have a sex problem in America today, a sexual sin problem? Do you know that as I speak, there's something going on right now called the burning man. It's out in the desert in, in, in the Las Vegas area. It's amazing how demonic strongholds get established. It used to be this fringe group that would go out to the desert, set up a camp, committed to radical individualism and radical self-reliance. How many of you know radical individualism and radical self-reliance are two demonic Tower of Babel goals? What this basically is is a massive orgy in the desert. They build, they build buildings, they burn the buildings, they, it's the most bizarre, perverted gathering. 70,000 people are out in the desert celebrating the glories of radical self-reliance uh, and, and no boundaries whatsoever. It is one massive, sexual, perverse gathering, 70,000 people. Right now, this was going on this weekend. How many of you remember the Ashley Madison website and the, the, uh, the, the, the breach? You know, Ashley Madison, here's their, here's their website. Life is short, have an affair. Life is short, have an affair. That is, that is the demonic uh, opposite of what God is crying out to us about marriage and fidelity and covenant. Life is short, cheat on your spouse. And right now, hear this, 45 million, just under 46 million people have registered on that website. 46 million people have been on a website committed to cheating on your spouse. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12 said, and there will be days when people will take pleasure in wickedness over, uh, and wickedness rather, and unrighteousness. 2 Peter 2, 13, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight, which is exactly what's happening at some of these large festivals going on in our nation today. So we have a massive perversion problem in America, sexual perversion problem. And I'm just telling you, while, while people in the church will try to minimize that, say it's not a big deal, grace, 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 I'm just telling you, hear me, God says it's a massive deal. It's huge. It is huge. It is not a little thing. It's not a small sexual indiscretion. It is huge in the eyes of the Lord. Second thing, look down in verse 21. I'm going to talk about the worship of selfishness. The worship of selfishness. The Bible says, Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Moloch, for you must not bring shame on the name of your God. I am the Lord, he says. We have now reached a place in our culture, and hear me on this. As I'm bringing these things up, this is not to condemn anybody in this place. 
There is for, you're, in fact, I'm telling you, you're in the right place. There is forgiveness and mercy and healing for those who will openly repent of their sin and cry out to God for help. When you live in open sexual sin and sexual permissiveness, how many of you know there are unintended consequences called babies? How many of you know every baby should be celebrated? Every pregnancy should be celebrated. That's why God says, get married and be committed. Every child that comes into this world should be celebrated. But how many of you know situations, maybe even personally? In fact, I know in this room, we've had many of our ladies openly testify having been involved, and our men having been involved in abortion. But I want you to see what's driving abortion is sexual sin. What's driving abortion is, oops, I didn't intend for my one-night stand to result in a pregnancy, and I'm not ready to be a mom. I can't afford to be a mom. I can't afford, or dads that aren't ready to be dads, they're just playing around. They're just having sexual pleasure without the covenant that God intended. 60 million babies' blood screaming for justice right now in America. 60 million. You could take all the wars we've ever fought in and combine our casualties, and you will not have 60 million casualties. Let the weight of that, 60 million. The blood is crying out for justice. I am amazed that we have not received the full fury of the wrath of God in this country. But there is a tipping point. And I just got to connect the dots here because people wonder, Pastor, why do you guys talk about that on Sunday? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Why do you encourage people to go stand at the doors of death? And to plead, to plead with people, don't kill your baby. I'll just say this. The greatest threat to the security of our nation right now is abortion. And I believe the turning point to God's presence coming to us and to his church is when we work very, very hard to say this will not happen by the grace of God. This will not happen in our community. And we're going to love people that have been victimized by abortion. We're going to help mothers that are pregnant. And we're going to be practical in providing uh, assistance for them. We're going to help men that have been involved to learn how to be men of God and men of courage and men of integrity. We're going to promote healthy marriages. We're going to work as hard as we can. But I want you to connect the dots. Abortion on demand in this nation is directly going to be tied to the judgment of God and God vomiting us out of his mouth if it doesn't stop and it doesn't stop soon. And if we're not concerned about it as the body of Christ, who is going to be concerned about it? If we're not bothered by it, who's going to be bothered by it? I'm connecting some dots with you. This has got to be something that is a centerpiece of what we're about here. And listen, it rings hollow to preach against abortion. If in the privacy of my mind and heart and life, I am part of the problem because I'm living a sexually immoral life, even as I sit in the church on Sunday morning. We have murdered 60 million of our children on the altar of inconvenience. This is the height of selfishness. 
We worship ourselves, what we want for us. Even the gospel has been perverted to make me the center of the gospel. I am not the center of the gospel and neither are you. God Almighty is the center, the glorious center of the gospel. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about him. And let me end with this. Number three, the celebration of perversion. There's a progression here I want you to see. Read with me verses 22 and 23. Do not practice homosexuality. Does anybody have a question, a public policy question, after those four words? Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. Verse 23. A man must not defile himself by having sex with an animal. And a woman must not offer herself to a male animal to have intercourse with it. This is a perverse act. Verse 24, do not defile yourself in any of these ways. For the people I am driving out before you have defiled themselves in all of these ways. Because the entire land has become defiled. Listen, I am punishing the people who live there. I will cause the land to vomit them out. I mean, you know, that's very strong language. God says the land is literally going to puke you out. When we stood at the, at the state house and we said, look, if you open up marriage to whatever anybody wants it to be, there's going to be a slippery slope of perversion that's going to follow. People laughed at us. People mocked us. We said, hey, if two men can have sex, and and who's to tell us where we're to define our sexual borders, then why can't people have sex with their dog if they like their dog? Why can't people have sex with an inanimate dog? Why can't you marry your dog if you love your dog? Everybody said, oh, you're being stupid. That's not real. You're being stupid. It's happening right now in our country. We barely, the ink was barely dry on the legalization of same-sex marriage. And we had people clamoring to marry all kinds of perverted things and have sex with all kinds of perverted relationships. Because listen to me. When you get involved in sexual sin, then you begin to justify your selfishness and to to keep your sin sacred so you can keep doing it. Then who are you to judge what anybody else wants to do? And before you know it, you start justifying. Who would have thought a 100 years ago that we would actually conceive of two men or two women being married. And now we're talking about the rights of animals and sex with animals. In fact, it drove me crazy. I'm at the health club the other day on the treadmill and on C-SPAN, I got to watch the Animal Rights National Convention. And I didn't get to hear it. I just got to read the script. And they were saying, animals have families too, just like us. Are you kidding me? Animals have families just like us. And here was their big goal, to remove, are you ready for this, all of our educators? To remove meat from school lunches. I'm sitting there going, I mean, I I was acting out. I mean, I couldn't contain it. These idiots! This is what happens when you reject God and you begin to think like an animal! You're not an animal. God holds you responsible to not act like an animal, to not have sex with animals, and to eat animals and not worship animals. 
Because they're there for us to enjoy and to eat, like chicken and beef and everything else. God blessed it. But when you reject God, I, I can't wait for the day when we're not eating any meat, and then someone's going to be saying, what about carrots? Who are you to carrots have families too? And we're all going to starve to death because nobody will be able to eat anything. I mean, we're, this is the stupidity that happens when a nation is under God's judgment. And these people have alphabet after their names, PhD, DRI. These people have educated themselves into insanity because they've rejected God. I'm telling you, does anybody think like God's feeling the vomit coming up in his throat right now over this nation? This is this is not a Debbie Downer message, right? This is a this is sober. Like, here, here's what I get out of this message: I better make sure I'm living right. I better make sure I'm I'm the what I profess is real. And secondly, because I love my country, anybody love your country? I want to make sure that the, that I'm part of the solution. And we're going to get to that because that's not just like, oh God, we're in a heap of trouble. Well, yeah, we are, but you know what? It's not. I'm still appealing to hope in who the Lord is and His mercy and His grace. But I'm telling you, don't, please don't come to this church. I'm sharing this as a, as a pastor. I'm sharing this as someone who loves you. Please do not come to this church and sit on your sin in, in hiding it, thinking somehow that everything's okay. God knows what's going on. And listen, you can't even join this church unless you admit that you're a mess. You can't get into the club. We're all sinners. So listen, here's the light. Your sin is no greater than anybody else's sin. And listen, it's not new. You're not the exceptional sinner. Let me tell you there's some other good news. God's grace is big enough to deal with every single person in this room. And he has the power to change us. That's the good news of the gospel. So here's what I'm banking on. We're going to be a group of people that have velocity like Andrew talked about. We're going after God. We're after his presence. We're people of his word. We want to obey his word. And God starts going, I want to hang out with those guys. Because how many know the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says, look to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for somebody to hang with. How about us? And here's the cool thing. When God is for you, who can be against you? And you talk about velocity and momentum and busting through inertia. God starts doing the supernatural like he did in Joshua. Signs and wonders and people getting free and people getting saved. And listen, you don't have to market it on the radio. People will run to find you. People are hungry for God. People are looking for something real. That's the message that I get is, you know what? It's time for us to start. I got to start with me. Then I've got to, let's deal with us's here. And then let's set our focus on redeeming a nation before we get vomited out of this country, which God forbid that that could happen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray. No marriage class today due to the holiday weekend, but that will resume next week. And Father, we present ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, deal with us as sons and daughters. Deal with us as kids of yours who really do want to do what's right. Lord, help us where we're in denial. Help us where we're hiding. Help us where we think we can uh, live a certain way when we know the clear teaching of Scripture says we can't live that way. God, help shake us out of our denial. And Lord, even as Andrew preached, may there be a Holy Spirit inertia in this house. God, may we move beyond where we're at. May we pursue you. And God, give us the grace to do that. God, even give us the grace 
to repent the way that we need to repent. Because God, we, we can't even do that well on our own. Help us to truly be broken with the sin of the world and our own sin and to be right with you, Lord. God, bless this nation once again. God, have mercy on our nation. God, use us as your church to be part of the solution, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen.